Uh, I've been running communities without thinking about communities uh, for several years. And then when I started learning about Web3 and everybody said, oh, Web3 is all about community. That's when I really started thinking about like the tactical side to it. Building community is the hot topic in digital marketing and content right now, especially around the development of Web3. But what does that really mean? And how do you do it? Welcome to the Grounded Content Podcast. I'm your host, Marion Abrams. This is the show for you if you're a professional content creator, a content strategist, or an entrepreneur or brand looking to create and use content effectively. Today, I get to bring you my conversation with Heather Parody. We've gotten to know each other pretty well over the last couple of years. Heather developed the influential Unconventional Leaders podcast and community. She co-hosted NFTs for Newbies. She's been hired by some big brands to build community and to consult. And she has her own community building community. This conversation took place with Heather at a time of reflection and reassessment for her. She's been really thinking about what community building means, especially online. So at the moment, she asked to be identified as a, quote, restless creative. But Heather is an avid explorer of how to build community and what that means, both philosophically and tactically. And that's what we're going to talk about. Real world tactics and some of the essential ideas behind building effective community online. I am so excited to be here. I and you can't edit this out, Mary, and this is really important. I am just the biggest fan of you and what you're putting out in the world. Literally love your podcast. When I remember I think it was Rich Cardona who introduced me to you and I just binge through. I'm talking like hours of your content, not because we obviously developed a friendship, but because I was getting so much from it. And to your point, the tactical side to stuff, and I think any content creator, you know, we have a lot of heart we bring to the table of like what we want to manifest and create. Uh, The tactical stuff's tricky for us. I think we think there's this hard line between art and this commercial creativity. and, And I don't think so. I think it's a very soft line. Okay. Community. So let's, let's start with big picture. What does community mean to you? Just that word. It's a it's a sexy word. Please tweet that out. Community is a sexy <laughs> word. And what I mean by that is it looks really nice. And I don't know many people who would go, oh, who needs community? Oh, you know, I mean, most people would say, yeah, community. We all need community. We were built, built for belonging and connection. And we can th- think of the in real life examples of that, uh, why the church, spirituality, and all that takes off so much. Yeah, there's the entity side of things, but there's also that community element. And then we can also think about like digitally, it feels a little bit better to say I'm building an online community sometimes than saying I'm building an online audience. So it's a very sexy uh heart-centered word that a lot of us can agree on. But what has just baffled me over the past few months studying community is I don't think we really understand not only what it really is, but also to how to really create it. Now, there are some tactical things that we can do that are community-ish and lean us a little bit more towards thinking about the whole versus just separate parts. However, um, it gets very tricky online specifically because I can do community with you, like grab coffee, us do this stuff and like do life together. But when we think about like tactically, digitally, kind of more of these transactional feel, especially running online businesses, it gets very, very gray um, and honestly frustrating to try to figure out. I think we oversimplify what it means, but it's a worthy, worthy pursuit to understand. Well, what, do you think it's the same? So, for example, when I lived in my little town of 500 people, I was all about community. We brought the dead library back to life and made it a community center, an intergenerational community center that was focused on learning and connection when the books became not obsolete, but people weren't taking out books as much. They had audiobooks, they had YouTube, all this other stuff. And we focused on community. And I know what it took to do that. Do you think do you think the word means something different now when you talk about digital communities? Most people don't mean community. They mean an audience. And I want to go on record to say that there's nothing wrong with an audience and I have been wrong in the way that I've approached that word because when I first started learning about community and in full transparency, uh, I've been running communities without thinking about communities. Uh 
for several years. And then when I started learning about Web3 and everybody said, oh, Web3 is all about community. That's when I really started thinking about like the tactical side to it. And when I started to do that, I immediately put audience building in this like devil box. Like, oh, that's that's not healthy. We don't build audiences. We're holy and we build community. When in reality, I stay corrected, understanding that there are different times and place and groups for all of it. Like we just have to be intentional. So as a creative, we need an audience. Like you want people listening to this podcast, right? I want people to consume my ridiculous reels. I want them to watch it and hit like. Now, does that mean it's a community? Absolutely not. It's an audience. And so what we have to do as creators is start looking at this more intentionally of like audience building tactics. And then also to learning how to bridge them over to a community, which is what people are actually looking for. And when you really start to develop a strong brand. So as a creator, you've just made a good case for audience building. What's the case for community? Sustainability, something that goes beyond you, where you start building something bigger. I think those of us who have really big, ambitious dreams, and there's a heartbeat behind what you do in the sense of like service and contribution, I don't think you can escape the conversation of community because that's when lives are actually really changed. Uh, yeah, there have been instances in my life, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, where you've gone and heard a talk and there was something in it that moved you. But I would bet almost that what's really changed your life the most are elements of community and relationships and people. And I really don't like this because despite my energetic personality, I'm incredibly introverted in the sense of I don't choose to go spend time with people, which is mind blowing to a lot of people because I'm very extroverted or appear to be. Uh, but I can't get around the fact that if you really want to impact people's lives, you have to go back to relationships and community. So that's the case for that. And then also too, from a tactical standpoint, if you're looking at like marketing, what is the best form of marketing? Will never end word of mouth, right? And so when you can onboard people in your community, what happens is they become advocates for what you're creating. You know why? Because it's not about you, it's about them. And when we can start empowering people to take on your mission as a part of their mission too, that's when things set like wildfire. I just published an episode of this show from Podcast Movement, and I talked to Jared Easley, who's one of the co-founders. And he said, the big mistake everybody makes is when they get out there, they wave their hands and say, look at me. And he said, what you need to do, if you want people to be interested in what you're interested in, you have to be interested in what they're interested in. And that was such a good take. Preach, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> when I think about community, like the value for me of community has been as a member. And that's clear to me, right? Mm -hmm. So way back, we had a listserv for the editing system, the video editing system I was using. And it was just a constant flow of questions and answers and just fantastically valuable conversation. So I see it from a member perspective. Tell me more about why you would put in all the work to build a community as sort of the captain, right? You have to do all the building. What's in it for you? <laughs> and that's where I've gotten a little jaded over the past few months. I'm a, uh, our mutual friend, Greg Clonus says that I'm one of my biggest faults is how optimistic I am. And uh, I, I've got actually gotten a little rigid and jaded on this conversation, Marianne, because you're right. It does take a lot of time and there's not a really quick ROI that we see off the bat. And so people's quickly shift community building back to audience building because audience building feels a lot more satisfying because I can see numbers go up. I can see mm -hmm. these, these metrics on, on a spreadsheet that I can easily measure with community. It's a lot more difficult to measure and it's going to take a long ass time. So over the past few uh, months, I've been brought into different projects and a couple of businesses to help them with their community building and no judgment. I mean, there's been frustration on every end because some of these quote, non-scalable efforts to build real community. And I'm talking like old school stuff, man, like talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. Y'all know what that's like? Like, whoa, we're getting a little crazy here. That kind of stuff that you have to do, you don't see really quickly. You do not see it. And so what would 
move someone to do it, well, you have to really have a long-term mindset with this and be deeply convicted of what you're wanting to create. And I want to say there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I don't need to have a community right now. I was talking to a comedian the other day and she was very honest. She shifted my mindset a lot. She said, you know what, Heather? I don't need a community around my comedy. I need an audience around my comedy. And I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. And we talked about her long-term vision. So there's there's not a right or wrong answer with this, but if you're someone who has a similar vision like I do with Lewis Howes and what he's putting out into the world and building greatness media and so forth. That goes beyond him into this community element that takes years, years and years and years and years. And so you have to have that heartbeat and conviction, period. Is there a tactical difference or a philosophical difference between building a community because you want to be a member of it and it doesn't Mm -hmm. exist and building a community because, you know, you have a business and you have a model and you have an idea, even with the best of intentions. Because I think really most of the really successful communities were built because I, I want to be a member uh-huh. as opposed to I want to be a captain. Oh, is that right? That's so insightful and you're you're 100% right. And this is something that I miss too when I approach this topic. Because again, I thought it was a very simple idea build a community, hug your neighbor. And now I'm like, yo, this is actually like a lot. There's a lot here. To your point, being a member of something versus kind of a leader of a community. um, If you look at Web3, which is where I kind of entered this conversation into, their intention, and I'm not going to get super techie here, y'all, so hang in here with me, is to decentralize assets um, or economy and then create these things called DAOs, which really is the true essence of a community where you, me, Greg, another friend, Janet over here, we all come in together and we all have equal voting rights and we're able to shift a business or hold a digital asset together. And there's like this equal distribution of power, which is really in essence what a real community is. That being said, I would say that's on one end of the continuum. And then when you kind of go towards the other end of the continuum of more like a teacher, student, uh, fan, and entertainer on the other end, and I'm just now making this up, so there might be another end of this. Okay, y'all, so hit me back up later. (laughs) But uh, I think that usually most of us are somewhere in between, right, where we kind of have our community goal in a different place based off of our long-term objective. And so for someone, I'm keep using Lewis Howes as an example because I think he he demonstrates this beautifully. He has a very communal feel to his audience. It doesn't feel like an audience in a a teacher. But he also, too, we view him as an authority and a leader, even though he doesn't have to come out and say it. And his goal, obviously, is to build a brand. So I don't think you can go full community if there is an objective there, like you want to build some empire. You have to step into a role of a leader, and I don't want to demonize that. I think you just need to get really, really clear on what your long-term vision is. Am I creating something that would be behind the scenes and no one's ever going to know my name and we just create this community because I need it. That's beautiful. But if you're someone who is a creative and wants to build something, you're going to have to step into a leadership role and go down the continuum a little bit more towards audience building. I have like three major questions, ideas coming from this. Okay. The minor one first. Can you just tell me what DAO stands for? Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And good luck to anybody to repeat that five times. So. You were talking about the sort of the one end of community where everyone's equal. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to just put that against, you know, the sort of the origins of real world community. And in a real world community, it's not so much that everyone's equal, it's that they're complementary, right? Mm. So you have the doctor and the librarian and the, like, you have different people who play different roles and they, they click together and they make an effective community, right? So I think about the film I made about the flood in the town I lived in for 28 years. And what happened was this town of 500 people was cut off completely from the outside world because it was already a strong community. Everybody knew, well, this person, you know, has a backhoe Mm. and this person knows how to cook and this person's a good organizer and this person can take care of the children. And everybody volunteered, but they did it 
because everyone knew who had the appropriate skills. Mm-hmm. Is that part of being a community is finding different roles to I plug love, in? I love that so much. And what came up for me when you were talking about that is this unity where we're not judging what our role is in it. And I think the only way to really get to that point is when we all have that strong conviction of a, a similar mission. You know, yes. what we talked about earlier where – Community is really when we take ownership of that mission of like, this is what I'm about to. A beautiful example of this is um, Team Rubicon, I believe. It's a nonprofit organization that uh, uh, calls up vets to go to disaster zones and they all work together. And man, I uh, photographed a few of their disaster relief missions and it was I could cry think about it. One of the most beautiful examples of community that I've ever seen. But you know, these are these are people from different branches of the military from all over the world. Some are retired, some are enlisted, but they all had this undertone of like, we are one, we're a body here, and we have a mission. And they called them missions. And I'm just getting chills thinking about it. And I think that's when we really tap into that community element because to your point with the in real life stuff, I'm not going to be worried that I'm the librarian and you're the surgeon. And you might seem like you have more authority and power and more important. I'm sorry if I'm this librarians, I love you. You know what I'm trying to say here. Um, (laughs) When we have a strong conviction that we're going to help our neighbor down the road who's struggling, like get past all that because we have that heartbeat. And by the way, literally, they were both important. There were baskets of books that were brought to people who couldn't get out of their homes to read. And there were also people who, in this case, literally converted the empty library mm. to a medical facility. So, I mean, they, everybody plays their role. Real, real quick on that. Let's go translate that into digital in the tactical stuff. Please. That's just where I was going to go, Heather. <laughs> Let's go. This is where it gets confusing and it's done imperfectly, but this is where our mindset has to shift a little bit because, okay, if I can get the roles that people play in a community in real life, think about that when it comes to your Facebook group. Look, let's just get super tactical here. I got a Facebook group. Yeah. And what is it going to take for me as the facilitator of that community, the leader of that community to start enrolling people and becoming active participants, which is the biggest question community builders have. How do I get people engaged? This is what's really important. Gone from an audience building mindset where we're thinking about getting people to click on something or comment. And there's a lot of psychological tricks to doing that. You know, y'all know this stuff. We've been taking those courses where it's like you pose the question first, you have this really good headline. We're kind of, I would say, tricking engagement. But when you think about community, we're actually enrolling somebody into a mission and it gets a lot more deeper than just getting them to comment or like on something. Wait, say that one more time. We are enrolling them into a mission. I just, I just, I want to underline that. What does that take, Marion? It takes us actually one-on-one talking to people, hearing why they're here, and then having, putting down our own ego where we can let them lead without us having to be present. And this is where it gets interesting in the influencer culture, because we've been really feeding our egos for years of everybody wanting to be a part of our thing as opposed to us creating something that's all of our thing and putting other people at the forefront. And if we really get back into community building, which again is sexy, a lot of us aren't doing it, myself included, perfectly, we have to enroll other people in forms of leadership. We're not going to be the only face. Love that. Okay, I'm done. I love that. All right. No, this is exactly where I wanted to go. So let's talk about what are some of the best platforms? There's a variety of platforms. Maybe just run through five or six of the top platforms and a couple of quick pros and cons. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, I, I will give some platform names, but I want to start that with please pick something that you really like and enjoy. Um, we go to shoulds a lot like, oh, I have a NFT project. I should be on Discord. Wrong. There are people doing going complete opposite. You're going to be spending a buttload of time there, so you better enjoy it. So let's just start with that. There's a book, Seth Godin, uh, Tribes, which I've used and abused that thing. Please order it and buy it, y'all. He talks about a real tribe, a real community, is when relationships can be built without the leader being present. And so if I'm going snoozy snooze at 9 p.m., y'all know how I do because I'm an old grandma, while I'm sleeping, 
my community needs the ability to be able to build relationships with each other. So if you think about that with platforms, yes, there are people who are building community on TikTok and community on Instagram, but it's not as powerful as a closed group where people can have that running dialogue post and comment back. That's why Facebook groups uh, are so popular. I hate Facebook. I would probably delete it if it wasn't for groups, but few platforms have been able to recreate what they have done. Uh, Facebook groups, pro, everybody's on it. And if you think about, we talked uh, to Greg, our friend Greg, about this when he's creating different social apps. If you think about what is a part of everybody's habit already to engage with, um, if we were wanting to increase engagement in our groups, it's a little bit more difficult when we're pulling them into places like Circle and Kajabi and some of these other platforms that they're not already using on a regular basis. Not please don't cut me. I understand that there's a huge pro to some of these platforms. Just if you think about the social psychology part of it, we're asking people to abrupt their habits and go somewhere else. So that's the pro of Facebook. People are already there. The con of Facebook is is Facebook, and I don't even have to explain that. Uh, Discord is getting really popular within the Web3 space. Uh, I think the pro to that is when you look at a, a lot of the controversy with platforms like Facebook, is there's this curated content where I might not see Marion's post, even though it was like badass because there was some ad put in it and it's like stealing all the attention. Places like Discord have become really popular, especially in Web3 and the advocates for decentralization because it's a running flow and there's no hierarchy of content. And what about for Discord? I I think you can also have different roles, right? You can actually set people up with different Mm -hmm. roles. So talking about how we were talking about different roles in the community, that's, there's some technical solutions to that in discord. A hundred percent. And I'm, I'm working with one guy right now and he has free channels and he has paid channels and it's all on the same server. So he's being able to hit a lot of different people in his community based off of where they're at, if they're clients or if they're uh, fans, whatever. So there's, there's so much that you can do in discord. There's automation and bots and different things that you can set up to really kind of gamify the experience, which is a whole other topic with community. It's mind blowing. I think the biggest downfall to discord is there are, man, it is like the most passionate group of people where you either love discord or you passionately hate it. (laughs) It's like no gray, gray there, you know? So I think it definitely takes time to get your head around it. And there's a lot of communities that are kind of too big for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I took a course from Mark Schaefer and he has a really well run discord community and that's the first time I've sort of understood really the value of it. Yeah. Of what a Discord community can be. Yeah. I've really been enjoying the, and I want to say this to the people in the back who might be interested in Discord, but uh, intimidated by it. For me personally, as a user, I have really been enjoying the Discords that have gone slimmer in their channels and all the stuff that they have and really have found a lot more value from that. So if you have a huge team and the resources and vision to build out a big at badass discord, go for it, but don't discount some of the smaller, intimate, simple channels. I would give a shout out to these paid platforms that are coming up like circle and mighty networks and Kajabi is trying to get into the race and stuff like that, where you pay a fee as a creator and you're able to create a really customizable experience for your community that's closed behind a paywall. Usually they're behind a paywall. You can do free communities as well, but you as the creator have to pay for them. It's not like Facebook where you can set up a free Facebook group, Discord channel. The pro to that is it's highly customizable and it's off the radar. And again, for the people who were like, screw the system, you know, this is a way to really rebel against social media. The con to it is back to that uh, habit formation and interrupting people's patterns. It's a lot more difficult from a user experience to get someone to log in on Tuesday at 10 to circle versus Facebook, which they're already on. Yeah, 100%. And I actually joined a community that was on a Mighty Networks platform. Mm -hmm. And how often did you use it? I left the community. Well, I left it because nobody was there, which community is, you know, the the host was publishing content, but it was not a community because no one would go there. Yep. So let me ask you, what do you think about 
Twitch. Now, Twitch is a live streaming platform, but I have been surprised at what a social experience it is. So when somebody's streaming on there, they're interacting with the the viewers. Sometimes they're even inviting them into the game and playing with them. Like it's a very, it's a much more social experience than I realized. Yeah, I think I've been really intimidated by Twitch just personally because um, I'm, I'm not a gamer and those are a bunch of like younger people. And I don't know, it's, it's my own bias towards it. But you're right. I think the implication of Twitch, and honestly, I've viewed it a few times, never heavily interacted with it, is what you just said, invite people to participate with you. Um, this is just marketing one-on-one in general. People are egotistical. We all are. It's always about us. We want to see our face. We want to hear our name. Um, and the more we can intentionally, and again, you can use this for bad man, like, and use this as a, as a tool for harm or a tool for good. So be mindful of this. The more we can personalize something where people hear their name and see their own face, the more it's going to catch on like wildfire. Glenn Lundy is an incredible example of someone who does this really well. He does live shows and he intentionally sets out three minutes every show to say good morning to every single person. And he plays music in the background and he says their name. And that is intentional, man, because people want, they'll show up at 530 in the morning to watch that man. Romper Room was a kid's TV show. And there was a moment where the host of the show, she put up this magical looking glass and it was like, you know how um, when you're blowing bubbles, it has that really like reflective pattern. So it looked like that and she would hold it right up to the camera lens and look like she was looking at you at home. (gasps) And she would say, good morning, Heather and good morning, Marion and good morning, Billy and good morning, Susie. And it felt like magic when you were five years old. Brilliant. So I I learned this from uh, an experienced strategist uh, that I've interviewed a couple of times, and she chalks everything back down to personalization and belonging with experience. And if you think about community builders, we are creating experiences and facilitating relationships. That's our job. And so if I can make something personalized, people will feel more of a sense of belonging. And that's what people stay. If they don't feel seen or heard or represented, they're not going to stay. So if you're struggling with keeping people in your group, the question that you have to go back to is how can I help them feel seen? Now this gets tricky if you, I had, I was on the phone with a podcast host yesterday and he's like, how do I implement this personalization bit into podcasting? Because right? We're talking into a microphone. I think there are small things that you can do, like including clips, uh, letting somebody else hear their voice, giving shout outs for reviews, shout outs for people who are showing you some love on Instagram. Again, hearing, why do you think radio stations are so popular? Because they they interject all this different type of uh, collaboration into it. And it makes the show not only more interesting, but it helps people feel seen and heard in there. And um, we can do that as media people too. One more platform. What about Slack? I think you need to really know your audience. So I've seen Slack done really well with kind of more corporate type folks, uh, entrepreneurial people who are already using Slack for their team. Um, I would say that's probably, probably not going to work for, you know, maybe a younger crowd who's artists and musicians and stuff like that. You need to think about, again, where are people spending their time already because uh, back to your point about Mighty Networks, you said, I love the community, but no one was there. So where are your people right now? You can build community around that. You have a community on WhatsApp. I do. I, I mean, there's there's so many freaking different platforms. Um, I, man, I was resistant for WhatsApp, but everybody kept telling me that's what they wanted. And again, <laughs> we have to listen to our community. I think the pro to it is that running text, it feels a little bit like we're all texting each and we are texting each other. So it feels a little more intimate and close. Uh, the con for me is I think it's really clunky in the sense of having to add people's contacts in your cell phone. And when you get really a, a bigger of a community, like right now we have like a paid community in there. There's like, you know, 15 le- or less people in there. So it's a little bit more manageable, but something that's like really huge, I can see that being really, pro- you know, problematic. Yeah. You have this paid community of community builders, and I was able to sit in on one of your sessions. What are some of the themes that you've covered in there? Because I feel like I don't even know the questions to ask, but there's so much valuable information that you've covered. 
My goodness. I would say the theme of what are we gathering around has been the biggest pain point for a lot of people. And I don't think that that's new. (laughs) Just the clarity around that. I think, I know for me, I, I, I run to making things as complex as possible as opposed to as simple as possible. And sometimes the simple answer is the right one. And then also to, you know, being willing to throw out a vision and put it out there and it not work and adjust. And I mean, you know, this intimately with my personal life, uh, that's, that's the theme, you know, and I don't think that's just me. I think that's a lot of creative folks. You know, we have an idea, but we want to perfect it and figure out the roles and journey map our community and all of that. Uh, without testing it and trying it because we never know what's going to resonate and land with people uh, before we put it out into the world. And also we have this illusion of community. Like there are these people out there that we need to go get and bring them into a room as opposed to just looking at the people in front of us, no matter how few and bringing those people into the room and asking them questions and helping, allowing them to shape what we're building from there. So I had a guy the other day you know, he's like, I, I, I want to build a community around my project. I just have this question and this question, this question, this question. And I said, well, do you know anybody who you'd bring into your community now? And he said, yeah, I'd bring in this person, this person, this person, this person. I said, what if you brought those people into a freaking Zoom room and asked them these questions that you're asking me? They're going to give you a lot better answer than me, but we're trying to like create something out of thin air without going back to the essence of community and allowing them to to come in. So I would say that beginning stage is a really important theme. Recently been studying journey mapping back to the experience strategist. I've, I've gotten a lot of information from her. That's a really interesting uh, tactical thing where you are very intentional with the different touch points of your community. So usually we think about onboarding and that's something that we put a lot of time and attention into and make it a really awesome experience. And there's a lot of cool creative things you can do, but what about after that? What about when they are onboarded into the community and it's not sexy anymore and we're six months in, how are we intentionally creating these touch points for people where we're still re-engaging with them? Um, we're giving them an experience. Do you mind if I just jump us back a little bit because um, I want to hear all this but I want to hear about onboarding first sure. because your community has covered it a lot. But of course my listeners probably yeah. have not heard all these tactics. So maybe we can dig into where we're, but I think if we go into some of the best sort of techniques and most effective things for onboarding in a practical way, whether you have a, you know, maybe for in a Facebook group or in a, in a discord, how do you onboard? How do you, you know, what are some creative effective ways to do that? Good, good. I think the easiest thing for us, and I'm talking to digital communities here, I want you to yeah. imagine that you were creating an in real life event and just humor me for a second. And I want you to picture what that event would be if you were to materialize what you're creating digitally in real life. Some people would picture a house party, okay? That somebody comes to the door and they're, they hand them a red cup, red solo cup, and they bring them into the kitchen and introduce them to their neighbor down the road and there's barbecue in the back. And that's kind of what would be materializing for them. Other people would imagine a conference room with people in business suits and they come in, they get a name tag and they sit down and they get an agenda. So I think the most important thing for you to know is what physical place are you bringing people to if it were in real life? Because that's going to determine all those different touch points. An onboarding process for the corporate world, bringing them into a community where they're there to learn XYZ is going to be completely different than a therapist who's bringing a community in and what they're going to do. So if you think about it in that context, what room are you bringing people into? Think about if you were creating a real in real life experience, some of the first touch points and things that you would do there. Are you introducing people off the bat? Is that the appropriate place to do that? Or are you allowing people to know what's next because they're there for a specific reason? So that's going to answer a lot of your onboarding questions. But I think the most important thing that's universal is that people feel acknowledged in a personal sense. Back to in real life, I just got back from an event where when you walk through the doors, there's a a tunnel of people and they're literally clapping and high-fiving you. And it just raises your energy so much before you go into the room. And the reason that was so powerful for me is I felt celebrated when I came in, right? So what are some just practical ways that I could do that? So say I have a Facebook group and I get a new member. 
Yeah. What do I do? Nobody's going to like this answer. This is so hard. But how can you personally acknowledge that person? I've, I've tested and played with a lot of kind of posts that say, welcome, James. Welcome, Paul. Welcome, Marianne. And that's great. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. You could probably creatively approach that in a variety of ways. It doesn't get the kind of response that if I send James a voice memo or somebody from my community, if we have a system set up where they personally reach out to them and say, hey, thanks so much for joining. My name's Mary. If you need anything, let me know. That takes some work. Right. But I guarantee you that person's not going to forget it. Right. And by the way, I've actually heard some community builders who will literally enlist other community members and say, hey, Heather just joined. You know, I think you'd have a lot in common. Would you mind reaching out and making her feel welcome? Yep. Or and, and doing that every time with three or four people to facilitate that welcoming. Yep. I, I love hosting and facilitating in my home. That's one of my favorite things. Bring I just told you earlier, I don't do well with people, but for some reason, if I'm hosting a party, I just have the greatest time. If you host events in your home, let's say you have a barbecue or a birthday party, do you spend all your time standing there with one person? If you're a good host, probably not. And not because you don't care, but you know in order to move the entity of that party around, your job is to introduce people to make sure that they're getting taken care of and seen and belong. So I, again, am a facilitator of relationships. So don't think that being personal means you're going to spend all your time with one person, even though you might want to, your job is to let go of your own ego and quit Marion to come in and talk to that one person where that person thinks Marion's the bond.com and they build a relationship and you keep that ball moving. That's what we do online too. Can it work over a certain size at all? And that's where it gets really tricky and it has to be intentional. Um, this is where team building comes in and there is a, a system in place for it. You know, I think at the beginning when you have a community of a few hundred people, I mean, even with me, like I have a few thousand people in my community, but it's still manageable enough where I'm able to add a lot more that one-on-one touches. I think when you get past that, you have to start equipping your team with these, with a system. So any more good techniques for onboarding? Do you, how do you make sure that you are enlisting community members into your mission? I mean, that's what you say community means. I think people want to be celebrated and noticed whenever they are doing what you, I don't want to say what you want them to do. That sounds really messy and bad, but it's just kind of the truth. Like if you're showing up and engaging in all of that, and you never get that bit of appreciation, um, are you going to keep doing it, right? And I know for me, I've been really reluctant to ask people to help me with stuff because I think, oh, well, do I need to pay them to do that? Like, does this need to be an official role? But I've stood corrected over and over again where I've had people say, like, oh my God, like it's, I, I, I feel like a, an honor. They, they, yeah, they, because they feel a sense of authority. And the more that you can give people a little bit of authority, like they love I'm going to say, can I push back? And is it authority? I mean, maybe it is. Or is it belonging or purpose? <laughs> well, that's a whole one hour conversation right there because, because <laughs> that authority or that sense of authority, I think is what gives us a feeling of belonging. You know what I mean? Like I have Tom yeah. Bill used to this to us. This was really interesting because he noticed this in his Discord community that if people weren't feeling a sense of progression, then they were out. Mm-hmm. And so if you think mm-hmm. about it, back to kind of what I talked about, the touch points and journey mapping, how do people progress through your community? Or are they always at the same level, right? And you think about mm-hmm. our consumer behavior, these punch cards and these awards and these, and this goes in a little bit into gamification, which is another episode, but uh, people want to feel like that the more I contribute here, the more I level up and the more that I'm acknowledged. How do you do that? That's the million dollar question. Um, I would really encourage everyone listening to start studying gamification. And I had a lot of resistance around that because A, I don't like game, like video games. I thought that's what that was. And then it sounded like you were tricking people. Like I'm going to persuade people to do something because of our addictive personalities to games. And there is a huge element of that where people are using it for evil. But there's this man named Yu Kai Chow and he is 
I can't think rave about him enough. And if you want to learn about it from a master, look him up. But what he said is gamification is simply making something fun and enjoyable. And if we can Mm -hmm. learn how to make tasks that help people more fun and enjoyable, that's using gamification. And so his whole mission is to help people drink more water and spend more time with their families and make it more fun. And guess what happens when something's fun? We do it more. So we engage more. And so back to your question of like, how do we do that? Um, I believe that was in, in terms of engagement. Study gamification and think about people creating a more fun experience. I don't care if you're if your community is about something really heavy. Like say in your community, how do you what are some ways that you do that? Not everybody has my personality, so there's there's a multitude of ways. For me personally, I love using humor. I try to make light and fun and com- comedy around a lot of the stuff that's kind of heavier. And the engagement with that, I think, does really, really well. So I'll share different uh, skits that I do. I'll be a little bit more humorous. Um, We did these um, live show at one point that did really well where I would just go live in the community and put an open Zoom link on that. And we'd have music playing and we'd have people jump in on the call live and like pitch their idea, pitch their community and stuff like that. That was a really fun, interesting way to kind of bring something fun and lighthearted and get people involved. How do you help people like this idea? I love this idea of progression, mm-hmm. but what does that mean tactically? Is it like, is it is a, a, a bot in discord that says you've hit level three because you've engaged on this many comments? What is, can, what does progression mean? It can be that simple um, as just a acknowledgement, like a badge for sure. I think all the way to the more complex is when they actually start getting awards, not awards, like here's a golden globe, but like, Let me give you a great example. This is why Web3 is getting really popular and they call it the creator economy. There are tokens and NFTs and POAPs and different digital incentives that you can give people that actually mean something. So instead of going on Discord and having a new badge that says badass.com, which is cool, what if you gave me a creator coin said, hey, I just gave you 100 creator coins, Marion grounded content creator coins, and I could cash those in for maybe your course or a one-hour call with you or something like that where that actually has some kind of value to it. So there's a lot of creative ways to do it, and that's why Web3, they call the creator economy. One of the reasons is because you can actually incentivize your community with things that actually hold value. Yeah, this is one of the things in Mark Schaefer's um, Discord community. It's all based around you have to have a certain amount of his creator coin in order to join. And then there are a few points of access that you need to have even more of the coin in order to access, you know, a few of the perks. Mm -hmm. But also, for example, there's a room where you can enlist people to help you promote your own project and pay them in creator coin. Yep. So say, you know, I have a podcast, I want to promote my episode, Heather's going to share about it, and I'm going to give her some some coins as a thank you. Yep. Yep. And you know, too, something, if you don't want to get into the Web3 stuff, I, I really am a big fan of letting people lead calls without me that I trust. Oh, I like this. Yeah. Tell me more. So there's this, I'll give a Practical example, there's this guy who's been showing up to every single one of our calls and is so engaged and just eating everything up that we're doing. And he's been sharing with us about how he really wants to help entrepreneurs, creatives speak better. That's his thing. He's leading calls now in our group without me being there. And think about this. That gives him, he doesn't have a community. He's just starting off. He has access to a group with 5,000 people in it and then me backing him up. And now he, I gave him full permission. Hey, you know, I, I trust that he's not going to be spammy. He's going to have a call to action that's articulate and well, well presented. So he can do that. But also to think about what that does for me, because he's helping my community with their speech. That's content. That's interaction. That's engagement without me having to be there. Right. I think this is such a good example of 
all of those things, right? It's progression. It's in a way almost gamifying. You're rewarding the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also letting go of that control. A hundred percent. And I did this during the pandemic and it worked really well. Uh, when the pandemic was hot and heavy, we did this daily or it was Monday through Friday. We had these things called coffee chats. And I um, asked, I, I mean, it wasn't just anybody because again, I am trusting them with a Zoom room live in my Facebook group. I mean, that's a big deal. It was about five of them that were really active in our community. And I said, hey, will you help me lead these? And they loved it, man. And those were a call going on every single day of the week. And I wasn't, I didn't have to be there. It's that sense of purpose and belonging. Yep. If you could just give your three best tips for somebody getting started in building a community. And I don't want everybody to roll their eyes on this tip. Please listen to me. This is so important. And this is something that I get annoyed with when people say it. But it is so true that the more you can lean into your quirk and your natural voice and what you bring to the table, the more people are going to resonate with that and naturally gather around you. There's this weird pressure on ourselves that we have to present ourselves as a leader and that we're going to create this mission and everybody's over the BS. They really genuinely, I'm not playing with you. This isn't clickbait, authentic BS. They want human connection, which leads me to point number two, that has to be our central focus of how can I humanize this digital experience? Yes, you can humanize digital experiences. Um, I have been doing Zoom calls for people in Web3 when everybody was telling me Twitter spaces. And I know, no, 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 that it's the sexy thing to do is Twitter space. But I want to see people's freaking face because I know if I can see your face and talk to you, that it's more likely I'm going to build a real relationship with you. And as a community builder, that's my main objective. So how can we show faces? How can we elevate literal voices? How can we bring more material things into our community. Send, I got a, I got a postcard the other day from somebody. Brilliant. Okay. So don't think that just because we're digital doesn't mean that we're getting away from the human side. In fact, if anything else, people are demanding it more and wanting it. So go old school, go old school. I would say the third bit is make sure that you're reminding people every single day why you're there. We have to remember our, our vision and remind people. I want you to remind people so much that you get sick of hearing yourself talk about it because you're bringing in new people all the time. And in order to keep people really engaged back to that point of us all having a heartbeat together, people have to be reminded of that because it gets tiring and exhausting. And whether you like it or not, our role as a leader is to bring that vision back, bring that vision back and bring that vision back. That's amazing. Thank you. That was brilliant. That was just a little quick masterclass. One of the things we talk about a lot on Grounded Content is that there are these lines, right? And it's easy to get wrapped up in thinking about being effective. I want to have a bigger community. I want to, you know, reach this metric. We are trying to do our jobs really well. And we do something, and in hindsight, we think that was not a good decision, maybe morally or ethically or in terms of how it served our community, Um, but we got kind of caught up in focused on our goals. Has that happened to you? Of course. Yeah, this is the reason I like your what your show is about is because we are responsible for all of that, right? It's easy to get caught up, but at the end of the day, if we're creators, we have to stand behind the work that we put out into this world. One thing that really... I don't want to say convicted. I'm trying to get away from these weird words that sound like damning. <laughs> Put a big check mark in me. Is um, It was a story that Tom Bilyeu shared where he said that he was so focused on engagement in his Discord community that people were saying, oh my God, I've been staying up all night playing this game and trying to earn points and get that badge and that gamification element. And then he realized, he's like, I'm causing people and my obsession with engagement to lose sleep. So if my efforts and engagement are not bettering people's lives, that's the big check mark. So we have to ask ourselves, what I'm doing actually bettering people outside of this engagement with the community? Are their lives getting better? And let me, that was Tom's story. Let me tell mine because I'm not immune to this, obviously. 
I've had to really check myself with letting people go out of my community and not taking offense to it and not Mm. making it about me. Here's a concrete example. I just told you about all those Zoom calls that I hosted and all these people were facilitating them. And it was the high point of my community. I had so much engagement. People were, it was thriving. It was beautiful. And guess what happened? They got so empowered with using their voice and leading that stuff that they branched off and started leading their own communities and brought a lot of people with them. And it wasn't like this, like, oh, F Heather, like we're out of here. It was like, oh my gosh, this is what I was born to do. I was created to do. And I had this other vision about this and let's go. And it really, I could feel myself like frustrated about it. I'm like, all of y'all were so engaged and now you're bouncing out of here, creating your own crap. And then I thought to myself, what the hell are we doing here? If that isn't the goal. Because my my community was about unconventional leadership. I wanted to empower creatives to use their voice, step up, make a difference in the world, and create crap. And guess what they were doing? They were doing exactly that. And it made me mad because then they left my community. And I know that's ridiculous, but this is the reality of it. No, but that's so real. It's that so is so real. real. It's so real. And we talk about that journey mapping, those touch points. Are we really intentional with there is going to be that goodbye? And are we cool with that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like um, planned obsolescence, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, all these things like the printer, right? We we don't morally love this business idea. Hmm. The companies make the printer really cheap so that you will have to buy ink, which is overpriced forever, uh-huh. right? Yep. They make the disposable, Great example. the handle for the razor super cheap so that you will have to buy overpriced razor blades forever, Great example. right? Yep. And, and those are morally super questionable. Yep. Right. Yeah. But we don't want to do that with our community. So I really appreciate you telling that story. It's the truth. I was on a call the other day with a guy who had built a tech company, a really successful one. And now he's kind of venturing off to build a community. And he's built this tech company over the course of 20 something years. And I was just giving him this big dreaded story about this is going to take a long ass time. Are you ready? I told you I'm getting jaded. I've been jaded lately. And so I was being doom and gloom. Like, are you ready for the longest community building <laughs> journey of your life? And he said, I prefer that. That is so great and good. Not only do I understand, I celebrate it. And I'm like, what? Who wants things to take a long time? What is wrong with you? He said, after building a company for 20 years, I realized that the good things do take a lot of time. And that's exactly what I want to do here. And so I think I would just leave that thought of like approaching things taking a long time. And this is for me really, um, instead of it being like this dreaded bad thing, see the value of it that we're building something that's going to outlast us and it's going to be a beautiful experience, not only for our community, but also for us. Where can people find you? Uh, Instagram at Heather parody, but only follow me if you enjoy like short form content that is almost mildly offensive. I'm so honored. I think the world of you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of grounded content. You can find more information about Heather at her website, heatherparody.com. You can find everything about me at madmotion.com. And I would love to hear what you have been trying in terms of building community. You can leave me an audio message at podinbox.com slash grounded or use the form at madmotion.com to send me an old school typed message. I'll see you next time. (laughs) 